0: podcast where have you been i've missed you it's been like 8 months since an episode's been published and that's not because i don't want to be doing this um i've been busy it's been a tremendous year for me and my business and i've been focused on client work focused on growing the business and you know frankly that's no excuse but it is an excuse and finally i'm starting to breathe again it's uh You know, the holidays have allowed for a little bit of a slowdown. I've got some, you know, more help with me and able to breathe, able to kind of get my head above water. And I'm excited to bring the podcast back or be more active with it and and get it in front of you guys and deliver more value to you guys through the podcast. So I'm excited about that. And this is kind of just a reintroduction, you know, me saying hello again. And I hope you enjoy this episode and uh, all the subsequent episodes that you know we'll be putting out I'm aiming to get out at least one of these a week hopefully two there's enough in the backlog there's enough content that I can certainly do that and I hope you're here for it I hope you're ready to listen learn enjoy uh, be inspired you know whatever it is but I'm glad to be back I'm glad you're listening have a great Thanksgiving, great Christmas, great holidays. You know, Try to enjoy yourself and your family and, and, and gear up. So cheers, guys. Excited to be back. Hey, guys. What you're about to listen to is a meeting I did for the FA Marketing Group. This is a special one-off meeting. We had Hannah Pryor join us, who's a former and current TEDx speaker. And she does a terrific job here outlining how to put the human back into your writing, how to put the human back into your emails and your DMS and your sales messaging, right? Talking more like a human versus talking, you know, I guess, frankly, like a robot. Anyway, I'm gonna jump off of this. I'm not gonna step on this conversation. It's a really good one. This is awesome to put on in the background while you're working. Uh, It's also available on YouTube. So I hope you all enjoy and uh, talk soon. We're gonna keep this very real and to the point.
1: I asked Corey if I could make this a little bit of a teaching session, so for a little while I'm going to talk, um, but I do want us to have the opportunity to ask questions and talk this out, and by the way, please feel free to reach out to me afterwards as well if there are additional questions that you have that don't get answered, but I actually would love to leave you all with some skill building today. I want you to feel like you came to this, and you have some actionable new things that you can go take to your desk, to your day. That's a good use of time, in my opinion. I don't like to sit through fluffy, motivational, rah-rah webinars. If I'm gonna do this, if I'm gonna sit on Zoom, give me something I can use, right? I have a bias for action, give me something I can use. So the topic today, and I am gonna share my screen, even though I Zoom all day, every day, I never quite, quite trust the technology. Can I get a thumbs up? We can all see. All right, awesome. And by the way, if you're not on video, You don't have to be, I'm not going to make you, but I'd be so grateful if you did. I just, the black brick wall thing is sort of depressing. (laughs) Even if you're eating, even if you're drinking coffee, I don't mind, but I'd love to to see who's here. So topic for today, messaging mistakes you must fix today in your sales or marketing business. And I'll give you a little bit of context about what we mean by this. Um, If you stick with me till the end of this session, there is a little bonus. I'll tell you how to get it at the end. It's one of my most popular guides. People ask me for it all the time. Corey, thank you for the super generous introduction. So I'm not gonna spend too much time talking about me, but as he said, I'm Hannah Pryor. I do live in the Philadelphia metro area. I am an executive coach, keynote speaker, started a company a couple of years ago called Priority Group. I did my first TEDx on September 2nd, and I'm doing my second one on December 10th, because like I said, I like to drink from the fire hose evidently, but excited about that. Um, First one still hasn't posted, I'm waiting for it to post. Um, And I am writing my first book, because why not keep drinking from the fire hose? That'll be uh, released in September. Here's a bunch of things that I'm not going to talk to you about. If you want to look me up on LinkedIn, feel free. Let's just say my immigrant parents are very proud. And what people do know me for, and part of what I'm going to talk about today, is I did create a training called the Sales Copy Clinic, which is kind of the anchor, the icing of the cake is what we're going to talk about today, some of the concepts from that training. Um, just on a personal level. I'm a mom, I've got two kids, I've got a 12 and a half year old and a 10 year old. And the reason I want to talk about this specific skill set is anchored in the fact that I have kids because throughout my career in sales, I was in the sales function for 14 years at my previous company. I will tell you that, you know, I was a top performer the whole time. That's fine. There's plenty of people who are top performers. I don't think that alone makes anything that exciting. But what did give me a lot of spotlight and what put a lot of attention on my back was the fact that for the majority of my career, I had babies and toddlers. And so early on, I decided, you know, those couple of years that I didn't have kids, I was, you know, putting in the, the, the hours, I was burning the midnight oil, I was cranking. And once I did have a family, I said, you know, I don't think I can work like that anymore. So mentally, I was ready for my numbers to go down a little bit or my performance to go down a little bit. And what ended up happening, was every year it just kept going up. And it was working less and less. You know, I was stopping my day at 3.30 every day to get my kids off the bus. I was, you know, being much more flexible with my schedule. And so everyone was like, what voodoo is this? This is not how it's supposed to work, right? How, what is, what's happening? And I will tell you without a doubt that one of the reasons I was able to do that is because my message response rates and engagement rates were off the charts. I didn't realize it at the time, but my message response rates and engagement rates are off the charts. So I would send 20 messages and get 15 responses. My coworker next to me would send 100 and get five. Any sales business is partially a numbers game, but we get so hung up on the second part of that process, but once we get them on the line, once we get them on the horn, that we forget that we can influence the first part. So sales messaging in this modern era is the great amplifier. So we're going to use that as an anchor for today. So, you know, why are you here? Corey invited you to this. Again, I appreciate you taking a little bit, you know, an hour out of your day, but I'm assuming you decided to come to this session because you want to grow your business, right? You want to grow your revenue. Of course you do. And you also recognize probably to some extent that times have changed. People don't pick up the phone the same way they used to. We are not meeting in person the same way we used to. First of all, if you are someone who acknowledges this change, I first just want to say thank you. Because you'd be amazed at the number of people in your industry, in this business that are still anchoring back to the past and just don't want to accept this, right? It's 2022. It's time to accept this shift. We all went through this thing in the last few years. You know, times have changed. And here's the fact. And actually, the 2022 data should be out soon. So I'm going to assume this number is a couple percentage points higher than this. But the latest data is 90% plus of people screen their phone calls and don't pick up an unknown phone number anymore. 90 something percent. So we can dig in our heels about smiling and dialing. And I'm not here to tell you that we should not be on the phone. I am not the anti-phone girl. But I am here to say, while phone time is important, we are behind the ball if we don't believe that our sales messaging matters immensely. So the good news is you don't need to be a novelist. You don't need to be a New York Times bestselling author. But your words do play a huge role. And the sooner we all accept that, the better because words tell people what you stand for. Words tell people um, what kind of service you give, how you express who you are to someone, whether that's you or whether you work on a team. It's also how you give the vibe of your team as well. And here's something that's hard to hear. You know, in any of our industries like this, we tend to hear, this is why we're different, or this is why my company is different. And the truth is, if you ask any of your customers or your prospects, they will say there's at least three to five others that do the same thing that you do. That's how they see it. That's the truth. The only thing we have left that's truly proprietary or that's truly different, sorry about that, that's truly different is the experience that we provide to our customers and prospects. That's the only thing we have left that's truly proprietary. So that's what we need to prioritize and focus on. And like it or not, most people don't like it. So I'll just tell you right now, (laughs) like it or not, people will instantly judge you and whether or not they want to work with you or respond to you based on the words that you use. So why else are you here? Just quick introduction setting, you know, more deals, more responses, more loyal customers and clients, referrals from those people, right? Wouldn't that be nice? Also, here's something that's fun. I'm not making anybody do anything new. My guess is you're already using digital communication in some way, shape or form. You're probably sending emails, you're probably sending texts, sometimes in-mails right you're already doing this stuff you want to make a bigger impact with those messages sometimes people say well you know henna i'm not a copywriter i'm not a sales writer to that i say do you do any part of your job behind a keyboard then yes you are like put on your new hat you know stitch it on your jacket you are a copywriter whether you want to be or not and then lastly you know, show me the money, show me the money now before the market threatens to do that scary thing everybody says it's going to do in the next, you know, six months. Let's see those financial results. So the good news is effective sales messaging or sales copywriting is the key to all of those things. Um, And sales copywriting in context is honestly anything intended to persuade the right reader or viewer or listener, which I'll explain in a second, to take a specific action. In other words, this isn't your newsletter that you send out. This isn't the informational FYI. When I'm talking about sales writing, I'm saying after they read your message, you want someone to do something, right? I want someone to do something. I want them to call me. I want them to get an appointment. I want them to email me back. I want someone to do something. So for the way we talk in the financial services industry, copy is writing, messaging, or words. All the same thing, okay? So here are just some examples of what this could be, you know, and I guess some of this is not relevant to you guys. But we're talking subject lines, email messages could be a job advertisement. If you are in a leadership role and happen to have a team, this all applies here too. follow-up messages, social media posts, comments. I want to quickly put a spotlight on the comments part. I know more and more um, in the financial advisory industry, there is an emphasis with LinkedIn. If anybody's following the latest algorithm stuff, comments on social media are, just as golden as posts. People see them almost in the same frequency. So what we say really matters. All the words we choose really matter. And this is my stake in the ground. Sales messaging in this modern era, often, not always, but often is one of the only things that determine whether or not people pay attention to you. And here's how I'll prove that. Most of us, even when we use voicemail, I don't know about you, I think it's the same on Android and iPhone. I have an iPhone. I read my voicemail, in my visual voicemail, before I listen to it, right? This is the important of words. I'm like, who is this? Is this somebody that I know? I read it first. So sales messaging matters in every context. Now I said, I would say, um, what did I mean by viewer and listener? So this is kind of what I mean, whether you are using writing, which is the lens I'm gonna mostly use today, or if you're using some more avant-garde approaches, maybe you're using audio messaging, maybe you're using videos, same rules apply. Same rules apply because attention is a currency and we don't have it very easily. You know, you may have heard the data, like uh, attention span of a human right now is something like eight seconds before we lose them. And a goldfish has nine seconds. We are sucking as a society. Our attention is hard to keep. So the same methodology applies with the words you use and choose, whether it's writing, audio, or video. And again, I'm going to make that bold claim, truly these days the sales process cannot start without it. Am I saying that we're going to do everything via email, everything via text? God no. I'm an executive coach by trade. I believe deeply in the rhythm of someone's voice or their tone or their hesitation. But I also believe that people largely won't give you that time without this first bit, right? This is how they're deciding if they want to give you that time. So truly it often can't start without it and The other thing is the more your business grows, the more you need to write. So if revenue growth is your objective, you can't do it live all the time. If you tried to follow up with all of your existing clients and all your new prospects every day, all day, your day would be gone, right? You'd be on the phone all day and you'd really make no new money. So you need to develop this skill in order to scale, in order to take care of your existing client base and to gain new ones. The more your business grows, the more you need to write and write effectively. I will also just, I'm gonna have a little brag on myself moment. I switched careers a couple of years ago. I spent 14 years in my previous job where I was very successful and then I reinvented myself. I had hopes that maybe in 10 years, I would get close to matching my best year at my previous firm. I beat it in year two. So humble brag, right? But this this is why I live and die by these same principles every day. This is how I've grown my existing book of business and my current book of business. I'm super passionate about still doing it this way. So I I practice what I preach here. It's a skill. The only thing I'm going to say about this slide is it's a skill. People start to say, well, I'm not really naturally good at that. You don't have to be. It's a skill that you can develop. So just quickly, I want to share a couple writing blocks. I'm going to give you five tactical tips, but you're not gonna receive them or be open to them unless I acknowledge these writing blocks. So what makes writing sales messages so hard? There's usually three writing blocks that people in this industry especially have, and there's some version of this. Number one, my message never sounds as good as it does in my head, right? I know what I wanna say, I know what I need to say, but somewhere between my head and the fingers on the keys, it gets all jumbled up and lost, right? If this was the phone, if this was in person, if this was even video, Fine, I'm good, I got it. But to put it into words, that feels pretty hard, right? And I've been talking to folks in the advisory world for 15 plus years about this. And it's always some version of I'm great on the phone. Why do I sound so different when I write? Or my messages aren't organized, I'm rambling. I don't know what to include. I don't know what to take out. I'm trying to find persuasive words to get my point across effectively, but professionally. And I'll add to this, ideally without sounding sounding slimy, right? Or salesy, I don't want to sound like that. So if you can relate to that, again, super common. We're gonna learn some ways today to move past that. Writing block number two, it takes me so long to write anything, right? And this one, uh, I, w- I would say not to put too broad a brush, but generationally, people who didn't grow up typing and texting everything, they're like, oh my God, it takes forever. We struggle with this too because the pace of the industry is fast. You know, The advisory, the finance industry is not slow, it's fast. So the idea of sitting down to write a really well-constructed email or message seems like an all-consuming time suck. So it's usually some version of, it takes me th- 30 minutes to write a simple email reply. I'm constantly second-guessing what to say, so I play it safe, and it ends up sounding generic. Here's my little tough love. The other version of this is, I don't know what else to say, so I'm still using the same email template I've been using for the last 10 years because At one point, it made me some money, so I may as well try to keep doing that, right? And to that, I would say, good is the enemy of great. Good enough has never grown anyone's business, right? Good enough has never made anybody more money, leaps in their revenue. And then the last one is some version of, you know, I don't have a process, so my process is just, you know, spaghetti at the wall, right? Throwing as many messages out there as humanly possible in hopes that something works, which again. Volume is part of the conversation. I don't want to, you know, diminish volume, but if you get, okay, great, 5% response rate on your volume, all I can feel in my body is you just badgered the other 95%, right? That is not a standalone strategy. We need to have some strategy with the volume. So that's what this is. Last writing block, number three, really tough on our morale, really tough on our spirits. And here's what it looks and sounds like. It's a cricket, by the way, right? Nothing. What are we doing here? What are we doing here? We're calling people. We're emailing. Nobody's calling us back, right? So this is what people tend to say. I'm sending hundreds of messages. Only a few people answer. I'm trying to be patient, but this slow growth is stressful. I can't stand out amongst the competitor noise. I'm great at what I do. I just need to get in front of people, but no one hears me. Okay, and this one is really tough, because if you're just doing the same thing over and over on the hamster wheel and not seeing better results, that's the fast path to burnout. That is so boring. That is so exhausting. Right. You are not going to be happy in your career. But again, you can fix all of these things. There's one more that every single person struggles with, myself included, and I just have to name it quickly. That's perfectionism. Right. Even if you think, OK, I'm a kind of decent writer. I'm not as horrible as some of these people henna seems to be talking about. You put so much pressure on yourself to write the perfect message that you either don't write anything at all. And you're like, let me just leave them a voicemail again in hopes that maybe somebody will pick up this unknown number. Or you write something stale and generic and safe. The same thing you've been writing for however many years because it feels good enough. And again, I'll remind you, good is the enemy of great. Good enough has never grown someone's business. So if you can relate to any of these, just quick good news, it's not your fault. It's a teachable skill set. And most people haven't had the training. No one taught you how. Most of us are still basing our writing on high school. If you went to college, college English class. Five-point essay, right? That's the only training we've had in how to write. Sales writing is a totally different animal. And I'm going to let you off the hook. You don't need to be a good writer to write strong, effective sales messages. Sounds counterintuitive, but it's not. You really don't need to be a good writer in the definition that we assume it to be. So now let's talk about the five messages, and then we're gonna see what questions you have. The five messaging mistakes, and then I am gonna give you the solution. I'm not just gonna stoke the pain and leave you there. We're gonna give you the solution on how to fix it, and then we'll talk about them a little bit. So messaging mistake number one, you sound like a robot. You sound like a robot. This is probably one of the biggest challenges for folks in the advisory investment space who are trying to write their own sales messages. They worry that they are either trying too hard and dripping with sales language. They don't want to do that. So instead, they go to the other side of the pendulum and they end up sounding like a boring and stiff corporate robot. And again, that's not surprising because most of us are basing our writing based on the grammar rules we learned in English class. So we think using bigger words and packed sentences makes us sound intelligent and professional and sophisticated. Okay? So here's what I'm going to emphasize a little for drama, but here's what somebody robotic might sound like. In this training, I will demonstrate why you do not need to converse like you are a sales robot, right? Or I will tell you more about utilizing our services over lunch. Now, again, I'm being emphatic on purpose, but why does it sound stiff and unnatural? Because no one talks like that no one talks like that not your highest level client your you know biggest net worth not one person talks like that which brings us to the fix on this one and it couldn't be simpler which is write like you talk okay and the way you talk is like a human like a normal not trying to impress someone today human now to be clear I don't mean write like you talk to your fraternity brother like let's you know Use a little common sense here, but write like you talk the way you would if you were across the table from them. When you do this, your messaging not only sounds like you, but it connects better with them and it converts at a higher rate. It'll get you way better results because people feel like they can trust you because you're being real with them. Okay. They don't want to feel like they are being sold to by a robot. And there's a few different ways that you can learn to write like you talk, but I want to give you one trick for today to have you instantly sound more human using one tiny keystroke it is not the exclamation point, it is the apostrophe, okay? Also known as use contractions. So just a quick reminder on what the heck are contractions. We are becomes we're. It is becomes its, do not becomes don't. It is such a tiny little fix, but it helps so much. Why does it help? Because it matches the way we speak in real life. We do this weird thing when we write where we start expanding all of our sentences into their longest form. Okay? We want to sound more like we do in real life because when you use contractions, it sounds like us. It immediately puts people at ease and you want your prospects to be at ease if you want to be persuasive with them. You don't want their defenses up. You know, you wouldn't walk into a classroom and say, excuse me, could you point me to the trainer from whom I will learn the most? Right? People would be like, what's, what's up with that person? Like, what's going on there? You'd say, hey, who's the best trainer for what I'm trying to learn? That's how we talk right so this is just to be very clear this is a difference in the era we live in it didn't used to be this way but now digital communication is a different type of communication people are expecting it to be more conversational in nature not so informal that you're you know going too far to the other end but conversational in nature so back to the original example in this training i'll show you why you don't need to sound like you're a sales robot couple contractions simplified easier to read easier to scan Still friendly, super simple, makes a huge difference. If you are at all worried that casual speak might make it sound like you're not as professional or serious, I really need you to hear this. Please don't confuse warm and friendly with unprofessional. Too many people mix these things up. Please don't confuse warm and friendly with unprofessional. Writing in a warm, easy to understand voice does not make you sound less intelligent, less professional or less qualified to work with that person. But if you do still have some concerns, yes, there still are a couple of rules, right? Still use spell check. Don't start with yo, right? I'm not saying go that that far away. Still check things. If you have horrible grammar, go ahead and use Grammarly. But I think it overcorrects a little bit on that high school style English class writing. I, I wouldn't go too crazy with it. But no, you don't need to sound like a robot. Not if you want to get a better emotional connection and a higher response rate from your prospects, OK? I'm going to kind of just keep blasting through so we have time for Q&A. Messaging mistake number two, this is my favorite. Your writing is too self-centered, What do I mean by that? I'm going to show you an example right out of the gate. I would guess that 90 some percent of emails in your industry, I get them all the time from folks in your industry in my own inbox. They start with some version of this. You know, hi Maya, I hope all is well. My name is John Smith and I'm a financial advisor with XYZ company. My team has 15 years of experience and da, 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 right? I'm sorry if any of you feel attacked right now. There's always some version of this, right? Here's the problem. This is all about the advisor, John Smith, and has no clear benefits for Maya, the reader. We want Maya to do something. We are trying to get her attention. We would like her to respond to us. This is all about John. This has nothing to do with Maya. So I'm not saying we can't tell them about our background. We have to do that later, but we can't start this way. This is already a quick delete, I don't need this. Like we've given them an out in the first sentence. Quick spoiler, the subject line, new opportunity, also junk, but we're gonna talk about that in a minute, okay? So the fix for this is simply to flip the perspective. I want you to start any outreach from the you perspective. The word you, yours, needs to be in there a heck of a lot more. So just quickly, here's how it works. At any given time, the attention is either on you or your potential prospect. So if the attention is on you, we're talking about your credentials, your goals, your professional accolades, your team, your firm, how many years you've been at it, you, you, more you. However, the moment you shift that spotlight, that perspective to your prospect, boom, guess what happens? The focus of your energy, your words, it shifts to them, the people that you serve, their problems, their aspirations, their dreams, their worries, their goals. Most people in the advisory and investment industry get this wrong. We put so much of the attention on ourselves to try to appear credible that not enough of that attention goes to the potential client, to the potential customer. And the truth is your prospects want to feel seen, heard, and acknowledged. And it's our job to make them feel that in the message. They want to feel emotionally invested out of the gate. You know, I'm sure I'm not the first person to tell you emotion drives sales. I'm sure Corey said it probably a hundred times, right? Fair, (laughs) something, some version of that. So how do we do that in our messaging? So first thing is we have to understand what are they struggling with? What are their dreams? But then, you know, there is a process in the writing. I'm going to give you an example of this. Let's say that Maya is, you know, a finance manager at a company. You're trying to target her as a client. You've heard she's pretty stressed about things, or you're just assuming based on other people in her position that things are feeling a little bit stressful. So let's start to think if I'm John Smith, I'm doing my due diligence on my target prospects. What are people worried about these days? What are some of the things that are bothering them? What would she be saying to herself? So let's do a a very probably common one for most people that you're trying to reach out to right now. I'm nervous about the big R, right? Everyone's saying recession. Are we allowed to say it? It's like Voldemort, right? I I don't know if I'm allowed to say this word. I'm nervous. I don't know what it means for me. What if we started our email in some way, shape, or form from that perspective? Hi, Maya. In the last few years, you've worked so hard for your money. And I imagine the idea of it disappearing makes you lose sleep. I get it, me too, right? That's just the beginning, but already you can see we've shifted the attention onto Maya and off of John Smith. It's a much more powerful way to start the message. Even if, you know, this is pretty generic, honestly, but if you can get even more specific, even better. So the key here, and again, we're doing this kind of quick, But when the attention is on the seller and the attention is on John Smith, you can feel that. You can see that. When the attention is on Maya, you're speaking directly to your client's emotion. It feels really different. And people buy on emotion first. They justify with logic second. So hopefully in this one quick example, you can see how powerful this is. But this one little shift, if this is all you do today, will help you write better, more prospect-centric messages. And the most effective sales message starts in your reader's head, not yours. I need you to start out of the gate with it. Remember, attention is a currency. Eight seconds. Can't be about you. Has to be about them. So what to do next? Find the one spot, right? Find one spot today where you might still be talking about you first. Flip the perspective, okay? Try it on for size. So motoring through. Messaging mistake number three We focused a lot on features, not benefits. Now I know in marketing, we talk about this a lot. I think we forget at the individual advisor level that we should be doing this as well in our email outreach. So I know Corey as a marketer probably is like ready to pound the fists, right? Like, yes, yes, yes. But we can do this at an individual level too in our emails. So what does this look like? Just a reminder in case, you know, it's not top of mind. A feature is what something is. Factual details of your service, whatever it is you're trying to offer the person. Benefit is what something does for you, the end result of what your client, your customer is going to experience or get. It answers, so what? Why should I care? Reminder, people buy the benefits, okay? So even in your messaging, even in your outreach, we need to be focused on those benefits. So here's an example. Maybe the feature is, you know, when you work with us, you have access to highly trained advisors. That's a feature. That's a factual thing, right? So what? Why should I care? It could be something like, so you have the comfort knowing that you have knowledgeable, trained talent with years of experience working for you and with you, right? Give them something meaty. We make the mistake of, don't people know what that means already? Even if they did, they're not doing the mental work to finish that sentence for themselves. Mentally, they are not finishing the thought to figure out what it means for them. I'll tell you the most powerful example of this that I experienced in my own life. When I was looking for a new job in um, you know, kind of the late 2000s. I remember a recruiter reached out to me at the time. I was, uh, I just had my first daughter and the recruiter said, I've got this great job. And they gave me this list of features, you know, 401k match, great benefits, on-site childcare, blah, 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 right. Whole list. I ignored it. I didn't pay any attention to that email. Another recruiter reached out to me with the same job, but you know what they said that was different. They said, you know, Pretty great benefits all around, but really the most interesting one is they have on-site childcare. So you can rest assured knowing that your kids are happy, safe, and an elevator ride away. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I didn't end up taking that job, but I wrote them back. You know, and then when they talked to me, they did similar stuff. They said, you know, so you never have to slide into daycare at the last second ever again. I don't know if there's any parents on this call, but that hits, right? That hits at a different visceral level than just on-site childcare in a list of features, right? So you have lots of features that you offer to your customers. What are some of the benefits? Instead of a laundry list of features, can you carve out a few and make it real for them somehow? The, The fix is focus on the benefits. I'm not saying don't mention the features, but help people understand the end result of why it would help them and don't make the mistake of assuming they're doing it on their own. We are too distractible as a society. We are already on to the next, make it real for them, drive the meaning home for them. Because when you put those two things together, features plus benefits, it creates meaning. When we have meaning, it creates emotion. And we've already said emotion drives sales, right? We want that, we wanna create meaning. So we wanna put both of those things into our outreach, into our messaging, not just saving it for the marketers. It should be in our day-to-day messaging, okay? So again, what to do next? Find a spot, try it today. Try to put a feature and benefit together in one of your next pieces of outreach to create meaning for someone. And again, we've said it before, but I'll say it one more time. People always buy an emotion and then justify with logic. That's why that daycare comment gave me an oof, right? It triggered something in me that was emotional. And then the logic came second. So try to think, you know, brainstorm, what are those things for your prospects right now? And I will imagine a lot of them are related to, not having to worry about what's going to happen in the next six months. Let me worry about it for you, You know, some version of that. Can we somehow pass the worry off to somebody else? All right, messaging mistake number four, subject lines are an afterthought. I am pom-pom waving passionate about this. We do not like to be inventive with our subject lines, even though we should. Even if people know the power of a good subject line, they're not putting in the energy to make it compelling and great. When we are talking about texts, FYI, your first sentence of a text sort of acts as such, right? It's almost the de facto subject line. Most people treat them as an afterthought. They barely give it any consideration, you know, new opportunity or new, you know, new way to work with us, just checking in, looking to connect, or, you know, people share things on LinkedIn. They're like, great read, check this out. You know, when was the last time we ever felt compelled to click one of those? Never, the only time we do is if the headline itself in the link, somebody did a good job on it, then maybe we'd click it. But this never compels us to do anything. Here's why ignoring subject lines is so dangerous because the average professional who is typically who you're targeting is getting at least 121 emails per day. Most of those do end up deleted or ignored, which is why at least once a quarter, there's some big article about you know email is dead. Email is not dead. Email has not been dead for a long time. I check my email every day, so do you. So my distinction is this, bad email is dead, right? Bad email is for sure dead. We're not opening or checking those. So your message subject line, we talked about attention, is competing with a ton of distractions and you need to make yours worthy of them stopping and taking notice. So take a look at your own inbox today. You're gonna notice the ones that you instantly deleted. They're probably you know boring subject lines that are in your trash folder already or in the maybe I'll read it later pile, but it is unlikely that you opened it right away. And this is, you know again, my stake in the ground moment, writing good subject lines can make or break your book of business. You might have the best value prop for your customer, but if they never see it, if they never open it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the rest of it says inside. It got deleted before you even get there. But you do have a leg up on this because I would say 90% of sales professionals stink at writing subject lines. And you're saying, that's a good thing. Why? Because you don't have to. You don't have to. You have an opportunity to do this differently. And it's also not about talent. It's about volume, which I'll explain in a minute. But the fix is just to become the best darn subject line writer you can be. Hey, actually prioritize these. And it is not as hard as you think it is. But it's important to know that even great sales writers don't write great subject lines and headlines on the first pass. It's been said that highly paid sales writers spend 20 to 50% of their time on subject lines and headlines. So if they can't write great ones in 1 second and call it a day, then who are we to think that we can, right? It's not possible. So understand this, great subject lines do not take hours and hours to write, but there's a big difference between giving yourself 2 to 3 minutes of thinking of something thoughtful, especially if it's on a blast and going out to a lot of people versus a 1 second subject line. Those extra couple minutes are going to make a huge difference. So first thing to do is Give yourself time to come up with some. This is the volume piece. A lot of us in these you know, industries, especially in finance-related ones, we're like, we're not creative. That's why I'm in financial industries, right? We're not creative. It's not that we're not creative, but we don't give ourselves space to be. Creativity takes a minute to access. So when I say write 10 to 20 subject lines, get the five junky ones out of your system, the ones that are the low-hanging fruit that you use all the time, get them out. And then see what comes out of you after that. And if you need inspiration, I want you to look at your own inbox. I want you to look at billboards. I want you to look at TV commercials. I want you to look at magazine covers when you're in the grocery store checkout line. You know, what is catching your attention? Some of my most highly performing subject lines are something that I swiped from somewhere else and I just made it applicable to my industry. But they all have one thing in common and that is they make people curious. They make people curious. You can make people curious without being clickbait, without being slimy. So just a couple examples, you know, top investment suggestions. Boring, right? What would be a little bit better? Are you making this one costly investment mistake? Curiosity inducing, right? We'll do one more. New opportunity. Instead of that, how about something like it's hard to live without this in your portfolio? At a very minimum, I'm going to open this thing to see what they're talking about. Now, again, I want you to close the loop. I do want you to address whatever's in the subject line. It's only clickbait when people don't close the loop or they, you know, it's kind of filled with total BS. If you create curiosity and then close the loop, it's effective email selling. So subject lines really make a big difference. Do they make that much change in results? You know, in my full training, I teach people this is all you change things will be so much better for you because I can't tell you how many of your stuff just gets deleted. Even if it's the best thing in there, if it's deleted, what's the point? People who can get you know two, three, four X opens on their subject lines see automatically a huge thing because it's partially a numbers game. So if you had 20 email responses instead of five, what are your chances of landing something? It's much higher, right? It's significant. So we have to really prioritize these And I will lastly say on the subject lines thing, this is also what people find the most uncomfortable. For whatever reason, people are really like, oh, I don't know about the subject lines. And so to that, I say, try it. I don't care if you have to do this and hit send, right? Try it. It's the thing that will make the biggest difference. It will be uncomfortable. Prepare for it. But then you will start to notice in the response that people actually appreciate it. They appreciate that you're trying something inventive, something different. Okay, and there's a whole in in my full training, I go through a whole thing on subject lines, but try a couple new things and see the difference that it makes. You'll be amazed. Last one, you don't begin with the end in mind. Okay, here's what this means. Every message that you send, every text, every email, everything that you write is a chance to get someone to do something, right? That's the whole point of a sales message. Put all this work into writing something and then you don't tell your reader what you want them to do next. What's the point? So again, let's say we're trying to break in somewhere with a new client, new customer, and you put this great email together. And at the end, it's, you know, I'd love to connect. I'd love to connect. I'd love to connect at your convenience, right? It's never convenient. Newsflash, never convenient. Even the best, most interested customers might not write you back. Why? Because we didn't tell them exactly what to do. It's not about being assertive. It's not even about being pushy or bossy. It's just about being clear. What exactly do we want them to do after they've read this email, read this message, read this text? We have to say that. We're all drowning in distractions. So, again, I know Corey is a marketer. will appreciate you got to use CTAs. You got to use calls to action, work backwards, even in our day-to-day outreach, even for us boots on the ground folks in the field. A CTA, a call to action, is just a bit of writing, usually towards the end. It doesn't have to be the very end, but usually towards the end that tell people what to do. What do you want from them? So instead of saying, I'd love to connect, love to connect at your convenience, could we be more clear? You know, what time today could I call you to discuss this? Would 4 p.m. work for you for a quick five-minute chat? Okay, so I'm going to mention the five-minute chat apart, uh, part in just a second, but just, you know, FYI, a good call to action uses simple words, right, words that your prospects are used to seeing, and it's to the point. I want to talk about the five-minute chat part real quick. One of the issues we're running into in any email selling is we are putting too much pressure on people. You know, when can we talk about this in detail makes people shrink back and cringe. They're like, "Uh, I don't have time for that, right? So here's my personal example. My mom used to text me during my workday, and she'd say, hey, Hannah, can you call me? My mom and I are very close, but ask how often I called her. Because my mother is a chatterbox and it's the middle of my workday and I don't have 20 to 30 minutes to talk to you, mom, right? So she's figured out that if she sends me a text that says, hey, Henna, can you call me? I'll be two minutes or less. I'm like, immediately, right? What's up, mom? Same thing with our prospects. If they get any indication that this is going to be something that's going to take a while, they're not going to respond to you. So do not say, when can we discuss this in detail? Do not say, when can we have a meeting to talk about your dreams, goals, and aspirations, right? That kind of stuff makes people go, oh my God, like, I don't have time for that, right? Don't send them your calendar link as a standalone call to action. Not unless you've had a previous conversation because they're like, oh, that's a 30 minute calendar link. That sounds like a long time. Start with, hey, I know how busy you are. Could we start with a five or 10 minute chat? If they say yes, Then, again, I'm not against calendar links. I live and die by my Calendly link. I think Corey and I got set up through a Calendly link, right? It's not that I'm against them. It's just let them say yes to that first request. And then you can say, if it makes things easier to avoid going back and forth, you know, here's my scheduling link. But lower the pressure. Nobody in this current climate is interested in a long phone call for something that they're not even sure that they need. So dial it back by a whole lot. But the whole premise here is what's the action that I want my reader to take? Whatever it is, say that, okay, say that. So quick review, just gonna do a quick review on all of this. Number one, write like you talk, write like a human, not the, not the financial advisor version of you, the actual version of you, you know, flip the perspective to you, make sure the spotlight starts with them, focus on benefits in your sales outreach. Don't save this for the marketing department, right? On benefits, not features alone, be a great subject line writer. This will make such a difference. You may not like it at first, but I'm asking you to try, get out of your own way and try it. Use call to action and work backwards. Okay, so let me be the first to say congrats. And I'm just gonna quickly let you know You know, three options. This is my not annoying, but slightly annoying shameless plug. You can keep doing it how you're gonna do it. You can you know stick with the, the template that you already know that's safe. You can hire sales writers, which I don't know why I don't do this for a living because they get paid ridiculous amounts of money to do what they do. Or, and I truly do mean this, whether it's me or not, I really don't care if it's me. If it is me, great. If it's not me, learn how to do this. This is a skill set that will take you far in anything that you do. This is not attached to a specific tech. You know, I purposely don't make my training, you know, hinging on email versus text versus LinkedIn. It's sort of the evergreen art of writing because eventually this is gonna be in some new technology and you're still gonna need to know how to do it. I do happen to have a training on it. So if you have any questions about it, let me know. I do it with teams and there are versions for individuals as well. And there is a guide. So if you go to salescopyclinic.com forward slash guide, that's how you can grab. I have a free guide that I've created. It's how to write a follow-up email that gets a reply. Um, one of my most popular guides, and that's free. And it'll actually put you on a little email, short email series. It's only 10 emails. It's not like a forever, I'm going to spam you, but 10 tips that we didn't even talk about in this training. So if you found any of this useful and actionable, you'll love those 10 tips that come with the guide. So again, not going to spam you after the 10, it ends, which is probably terrible marketing. And Corey could probably teach me how to do that better, but uh, feel free to grab that. And before I open up to Q&A, Please connect. I am all over LinkedIn. That is my preferred playground. I begrudgingly created a public Instagram. You are welcome to use that as well. And I would love to know what questions you have. And I do see one in the chat. What?
0: Let me jump in real quick. First of all, thank you. Awesome. Welcome. I love the humor that you bring to it. So keep up with that. That's fun.
1: Um,
0: Talk to me about and, and talk to us all about. Yeah. The long-term effects of the spray and pray yeah. message on your brand. Because what I think happened over the last decade, if not 15 years, is people have used this spray and pray. And now when I see John Smith, I'm like, I'm ignoring no matter how yeah. effing good that email is. Cause you've yeah. spammed me for 20 years.
1: Yeah. I think, okay. So I, I think your your answer is obviously embedded in the question, which is the spray and pray method is dangerous, right? It dilutes trust, it dilutes our our, you know, image as people who are experts in the space, who are curating the partners we work with, it, you know, creates this sense of desperation. Now, something that is important to call out, and I I need to say it again, is this part of the process is part of a multi-dimensional approach to candidate outreach. So I will tell, I'm candidate outreach, sorry, I was talking to the staffing firm earlier, to client and customer outreach. Uh, One thing that I have done that has worked effectively is Even though I am using digital outreach to get the attention, sometimes I will use a voicemail to piggyback. But you know what I say in the voicemail? This is not just a regurgitation of what was in the email. Literally in the voicemail, I say, I sent you an email, and I'm assuming you're going to assume that that came from a robot. So this voicemail is just to let you know that I'm not one. Like, this is actually for you, Katie Williams. Like, I, you know, when I sent you that email, it was actually from me to you. It's kind of playful. It's kind of tongue-in-cheek. And I'll tell you that combo of that email and that voicemail tends to get it done because we're naming what's in their head, which is they sent this to everybody, right? They sent this to everybody. And so it's kind of getting ahead of it in a way that feels a little bit human. I saw that um, Matt had a question in the chat about Rick uh, recommendations for books or audio on email copywriting. So um, uh, there's a man named Jim Edwards. He has a book called Copywriting Secrets. I don't think it's specific to email, but it's really easy to read, digestible, that's a good one to pick up. Um, I enjoy email, email, uh, the email newsletter and following on Instagram, a woman named Laura Belgray. She's quite uh, interesting to follow as well. And she really subscribes to the human first approach to writing. She's one who, interestingly, people worry about length of messages. You'll notice on her emails, they are long and they are so engaging that you can't help but read them. So it kind of gives you a little bit of an example on how that can be done. Um, but those are two that I'd start with. I'll keep thinking on that, Matt. If you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, I can try to send you some others as well.
2: Um, Hannah, really good information. And when you said something, I thought, oh my gosh, I've I've done that and I have a trick. I don't know if you know this and I hope you do, but if I can help anybody yeah. on your iPhone, if you go to notes and if you open up a new note, right next to the space bar, there's a microphone. And you can talk Mm -hmm. your whatever. I mean, that's how I wrote my blogs because I'm not a writer, Mm -hmm. but I kind of laughed because I'm like, I'm just ranting on the answer (laughs) to the question. And it started by following up on emails to customers or investors who I knew they had the, I knew they were set out to get the question and then they had to take it back to their loved one to explain the answer. I'm like, I'm sending you to the wolves. Let me email you. So by speaking it, yeah. One, it made me a better writer because you can't just speak it and email it. You got to edit it. Yeah. But it also made me a better speaker because I suddenly realized when I say um or ah or I pause too long because it'll beep and it'll time me out and then you got to start over. So
1: I love that. Yes, no, <laughs> that's, a great, that's a great tip. You can use your, you know, notes app. You can also um otter.ai is a voice transcription. You know, there's a free version of it. You can use things like that, but as you are practicing, what Mm -hmm. does a written translation of my conversational voice look and sound like? That's a great way to do it, Katie, either directly the way you did, or I know some people will write a version first, then they'll sort of like put that aside, speak a version, and then start to just see where the opportunities to make it sound more conversational. And it's, again, you're not gonna do that with every single piece of communication, but the idea is just to start to train your brain to think that way so if you can even do it every now and then a couple times a week you'll start to see what are the differences between how you know henna Pryor shows up in a conversation mm-hmm. and like this version of henna Pryor. wow she does sound quite mm-hmm. stiff and stale let me try to bridge the gap between those two but i love that katie it's a great tip any other christy hey henna thank you so much this has been what? awesome 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 i have a question about i mean I understand the the subject line is really important. The closing call to action really important. Yep. How do you suggest the intro in the body of the email to look? Because that's always been a problem. It's like I always want to say like, "How are you? Hope you're doing well." But but that that is what I say to people. Sure. Like, yeah. You know, hey, Corey, how you doing today? Like, that's just what I say. So, how do you make that sound less like robotic? Yeah, so, Christy, I love you. I love what you said, which is important. Which is that is how you greet people. If that is how you greet people. I'm not against it. I think where I am against it is when people are saying things that are not the truth of who they are and what they say. So let me give you another example. Um, I, I know a lot of people are looking for pr- pr- prospective customers on LinkedIn, for example. Right? This is someone I can reach out to one of the things that grinds my gears that's a very common opening is something along the lines of, I stumbled across your profile on LinkedIn. <laughs> like, didn't. didn't people in sales, like we took the word stumbling and we all adopted that, right? Like who's, yeah. we're all stumbling, like nobody's walking straight anymore. So we all stumbled. And then, you know, again, it's not the truth of the matter. So in those cases, I tell people, okay, so what is the truth of the matter? And then they change it to something like, all right, I wanted to say that I stumbled across your profile, but the truth is I was looking for someone exactly like you to reach out to today, and here's why. People find that so disarming. It's the truth, and they're so not used to the truth from financial advisors trying to gain business that they find it adorable that somebody is willing to share the truth and is more likely to get a response. Um, The other thing I would say is, again, I'm a big fan of just inventive openings. Now, again, if that's how you like to start things, if that's your voice, feel free. I would just say, make the next thing a little bit interesting, curiosity-inducing. Part of how I was able to build my muscle with interesting writing was I would use a hedge, right? So I'm going to give you a concrete example. In staffing, one of my highest performing emails was, this is, you guys are going to think of such a dork. I, I did a lot of finance and accounting staffing. So I literally Googled accounting jokes, right? So I found these corny accounting jokes like one of them was like something about Noah's Ark and being in liquidation these would work for you guys too (laughs) it was like terrible but I would put the, the joke question in the subject line and then the first sentence would be the answer and then here's what I would say I would say you know so and so I know that was horrible honestly I'm cringing at myself but hopefully I get a few points for inventiveness since you get so many of these in a given day you would be amazed the number of people that responded like, ha ha, yeah, that was horrible, but kudos for trying something different, right? So if you're trying something that's a little edgy, don't be afraid to just hedge, hedge it a little bit, laugh at yourself a little, right? Like, yeah, okay, that was probably a reach, but hopefully I get a point for trying to sound a little different than everybody else who does this to you all day. That's just naming the truth. That's meeting people where they are and they appreciate it, they like it. Awesome, thank you. Sure. Hannah,
0: what's your biggest opportunity that you see right now? Email, LinkedIn, DM, where, you know, just as a takeaway for advisors and folks in this industry?
1: Yeah, um, you know, in order of priority and this, I'm going to give you a very umbrella answer because it also depends on generation a little bit. Uh, You know, millennial, Gen Z, they like text. Most people still universally like email. LinkedIn is still useful. It's just harder to get through the noise because too much LinkedIn. I mean, I wish LinkedIn would crack down on automation software and make people be more thoughtful about it, but the volume becomes untenable there. So you really need to put forth Herculean effort sometimes there to stand out. So if you have an email address, that's better than LinkedIn. Um, But really email and text is where I would focus. Text, if, if you have permission though. That's the only tricky thing, right? Like I do not like it when somebody who I have not given my cell phone number to sends me an unsolicited text. Now, if I opted into some sort of email list, if it was a warm referral, fine, fair game, just be thoughtful about it. Um, but email still, I mean, there's still data that says email marketing is still king when it's done well. Um, And that, that is in tandem with the phone efforts and, you know, the personal branding efforts, which Corey, I know you're very emphatic about
0: on that. Is it, is it, what's your opinion on, I have my own views on it, but is it, can you bulk or is it one-on-one?
1: Oh no, absolutely. I don't, I think to do one-on-one is naive, right? So, so part of what I teach in my full training is I'm much more hung up on people doing effective segmentation instead of personalization. And I'm purposely doing this because personalization has become this like faux personalization. So quick example, um, on LinkedIn, at least, you know, a couple times a day, I get a, hi, Henna, I see that you're an executive coach in Philadelphia, PA. How do you like working for a priority group? And I'm like, oh, God, like, you know, it's clear what the robot did. It was, hi, first name. Da, da, da. Um, we can feel that. We know that. And people are like, oh, but I'm personalizing. Or even if they're doing it organically, they're changing, you know, two words, like two words. And then they're like, it's personal. No, it's not. It's not personal. What is better is segmentation. So I remember, I still remember clearly early in the pandemic, a vendor reached out to me and, on LinkedIn and it said, hey, Henna, you know, with everyone going through these, you know, career reevaluations and deciding what matters to them, you must be busier than ever. You know, are you getting any sleep right now? You must not be. Something like that right? He didn't say the word executive coach once. He didn't say the word Philadelphia PA once. He just, in the body of the message, made it clear that he understood what people like me were dealing with. And here's the funny thing. He probably sent that to 50 executive coaches, but it didn't feel like it. Like it felt like he got me. I didn't end up using his services, but I responded. I was like, Hey, got to respect it. Right? Like you've, you've done some pulse checking as to what's going on. So I say segmentation done well over faux personalization, but segmentation can be to one to many. It doesn't have to be one at a time. Is that your take too, Corey? I'm curious. Just what's uh, what's your take on it?
0: You know, it's obviously, I, I loved your word naive there. It's hard to email a thousand people one-on-one. Mm-hmm. If you have a hot list and can get through right. to dozens, it it always is going to play better in my opinion, if you can personalize that and and niche down on that. But I understand, you know, it's impossible to reach large numbers one-on-one.
1: Yeah. That's Yeah. What I gave was I'd say an umbrella answer, right? If you've got a a hotter list or even a warmer list, then it's going to be context specific on how you do it. Thanks for having me, Corey. Awesome.
0: Thank you, Hannah. Guys, thank you all for joining and taking the time and, um, you know, have a great day and I'll talk to you guys soon guys, thank you so much for listening. That means the world to me. I hope that this episode brought you value. I hope that this podcast brings you value. And if it does, please leave me a rating. That would mean the world to me. It lets me know that I'm on the right track and I'm I'm having conversations and dialogue and, and bringing content to you guys that helps. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Talk soon.